Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on September 6, 2015, on the basis of Luke chapter 14, verses 1 and 7 through 14. In our never-ending quest to convince ourselves that maybe deep down we're not quite as bad as the evidence suggests, we often tell ourselves all kinds of little lies. One of those lies sounds something like this. When our behavior isn't what we know that it should be, we tell ourselves that the solution is always education. That when we act in a way that is selfish or hurtful toward others, the real problem there was lack of information, and that if we had more information, we would have acted better. But is that really the case? You maybe have heard that recently the website of a company called Ashley Madison was hacked into and a bunch of information was stolen. If you're not familiar with the company, their slogan is very simple. Life is short, have an affair. This is the website where you go if you are unhappy with your marriage and you secretly want to start a fling off on the side. Except now the secret's out. The information has been leaked. And email addresses for nearly 40 million of the website's registered users are now out. 85% of which are male. So let me ask, when it comes to those, say, 35 million or so males, was lack of information the problem? You know, it's funny, even in a society where morality is becoming more and more relative, one thing that everyone still agrees is wrong is infidelity. Did those 35 million men not know that? Did they not know the havoc that would cause on their marriage, on their reputation, on their career? Or was the problem maybe something deeper? Let me ask it this way. Maybe you've heard about or even seen one of the recent Planned Parenthood videos that have been released. Again, do you think that lack of information is really the problem? In a lot of ways, we could say that the people who are implicated by those videos have the most information about what is going on inside a mother's womb prior to birth. That every single day they see firsthand every sign in the world that what is in that womb is a human life in every sense of the term. And yet, those very same people seem to have just about the least amount of regard for that very same life. Is lack of information really the problem? Friends, may I suggest to you that as we sometimes contemplate our behavior and the depths to which it can sink, sink, lack of information is hardly the problem. No, in most cases we know exactly what is right and exactly what is wrong. In most cases we know exactly what God's ways are. The problem is that deep, deep down we simply don't trust that God's ways are the best ways. We think that we have better ways. And if that's the case, then the solution to that problem is not simply more information. No, what's needed 
as a solution is a demonstration. You might think of it this way. Fifteen years ago, very few of us would have tried changing the spark plugs in our car, fixing a leaky faucet in our bathroom, or installing a ceiling fan in our house, even though information about all three of those things was readily available. And yet today, some of us might take a crack at all three. Why is that? Well, now you can go on YouTube and find a video of someone doing those very things. Information didn't help. Demonstration does. That's exactly what we're going to see as we turn our attention to the Word of God in front of us today. At first glance, it might seem as though Jesus is providing us with nothing more than information. Here are five handy tips for proper dinner etiquette. Or here's how you should act with humility. But as we take a closer look at these verses, in which Jesus was invited as a guest to a dinner, we're going to see that he gives us far more than just information. Jesus didn't come over to that house that night to deliver a dinner lecture. No, he visited that house to give a dinner demonstration. Here's the scene. Jesus had been invited over to the house of a prominent Pharisee. This man was probably the leader, probably the president of the local Jewish synagogue in town. And apparently he and this little network of good old boy Pharisees liked to invite themselves over to one another's houses for dinner. They liked having dinner parties for this circle of friends. And this particular evening, they happened to invite over Jesus for one very specific reason. We're told that Jesus was being carefully watched. They were interested to see what this Jesus character was really all about. And yet, as the night progressed, we see that Jesus was the one who was very carefully watching them. He watched as it came time for everyone to sit down. How these allegedly pious and dignified men bickered and scrambled and threw elbows at one another so that they could sit in the best seats around the table. Jesus watched, and then he spoke. He said, look, guys, say you get invited to a wedding. No one in his right mind would go up to the head table and sit down right next to the groom. Because at some point, the best man is going to come along. And then not only will you have to give up your seat, right in front of everyone, you're going to have to walk to the back of the room and take a seat at the kiddie table. No, if you have any smarts at all, you'll start by taking a very poor seat, one in the back, and then in front of everybody, the groom will see you, he'll invite you to come closer to the front, and then in front of all your friends and family, you will look really, really good. Since he was sort of on a roll, Jesus then turned his attention to the host, the very person who had invited him over to this meal. And he said to him, look, if you want to keep Inviting yourselves over to each other's houses for dinner? Great. Go ahead and do it. But don't think that you're being generous or charitable by doing so. Sure, here you are tonight spreading this lavish feast in front of all of your friends, but guess what? Next weekend, you're going to be at one of their houses eating all of their food, drinking all of their wine, and you will be paid back. If you really want to be generous... 
do this sort of thing for someone who can't possibly pay you back. For the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. Then go ahead and call yourself generous and charitable. With both of these sets of instructions, Jesus was teaching the very same thing. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So here's the big question. By telling these Pharisees these things, do you think Jesus was providing them with information that they didn't already know? Of course, these Pharisees would have been very well versed in the Old Testament, including those verses from Proverbs that we heard read earlier that say almost the same thing. In fact, in the teachings of the Jewish rabbis, there was an extensive section that talked exactly about this and said identically what Jesus says here. In fact, come to think of it, common sense and life experience say exactly the same thing. You maybe know people in your place of work who are always scratching and clawing to get ahead even if it comes at the expense of their fellow co-workers. You maybe know people at work who are never willing to help out, never willing to lift a finger unless it's a favor to the boss, a favor that might end up benefiting them in the long run. So tell me, do we think highly of people like that? Absolutely not, right? We call them cutthroats. We call them backstabbers. We call them brown nosers. We know just how foolish it was to act this way, and so did these Pharisees. And yet they ended up doing it anyway. And so often, so do we. Why in the world would we think it would be a good idea to try and get ahead in life by stepping on other people in the process? Why in the world would we think that at some point that won't backfire? Why in the world would we think that if we only do favors for people that are powerful, influential, and rich, that at some point everyone around us won't see right through that? Of course they will. We know how foolish this is. And yet we end up doing it anyway. Of course, this not only applies to our relationship with one another, it also applies to our relationship with God. And acting in this way is just as foolish there. Why in the world would we stand before our holy God and convince ourselves that he's going to be happy with us for our half-hearted efforts at keeping his law? Why would we tell ourselves that he should be satisfied as long as we've tried our best or as long as we can find someone standing nearby that we think is a worse sinner than we are? Why would we get angry with God when he doesn't give us all of the things that we ask for? Why would we ever think that we're entitled to a few more favors from God than we get? And yet we end up doing it anyway. You see, friends, the problem is not lack of information. The problem is that very often we demonstrate that we simply don't trust that God's ways are the best ways. We think the ways that we come up with are better. So thankfully, as Jesus came to that dinner that evening, he didn't come primarily to provide information. 
He came to give a demonstration. Think of the setting once again. Jesus had been invited into this little good old boy network. These were some of the most powerful, influential, maybe even wealthiest people in the area, and they were watching Jesus every move. They were going to form their permanent impression on Jesus based on his behavior that evening. Do you think if he wanted to, Jesus could have schmoozed a little bit that night? Do you think if he wanted to, he could have entertained them all evening with engaging and witty conversation? Do you think he could have performed a few miracles, hoping that at some point they would use their influence to return the favor? Well, of course. But instead, he first turns to all of the guests, then turns to the host, and issues them both these stinging rebukes. And instead, consistently Jesus reserved his miracles for the very people that he mentions in these verses. For the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. The people who had absolutely no ability to pay him back. In fact, this was in Jesus' entire life. Entire life was humbling himself more than any man ever has. When it came time to choose seats, do you know which one Jesus chose? Well, first he chose that bed made out of straw. A lowly birth, leaving his throne in heaven to come down to this mess on earth. Then he chose the defendant's chair. He chose to willingly be charged with every single sin that you and I have ever committed. That, of course, led to the execution chair, which in those days was a cross. And as he was lifted up from the earth on that cross, he was really being lowered down to the deepest depths. Think of the shame that Jesus experienced on that cross. How many people that day thought that he was suffering unjustly? Maybe 20? How many people thought he was a raving lunatic who was getting exactly what he deserved? Everyone else. Think of the spiritual anguish, the physical agony, the pain of being separated from his father, finally death itself, and the seat that Jesus chose for himself ended up being a tomb. Hey, nice work, Jesus. Great plan. Look at where it got you. And you want me to live that same way? Of course, we know what happened next, right? The one who so willingly humbled himself was exalted. The one who willingly lowered himself to the deepest depths was raised by his father to the highest heights. Up from the grave, alive again. Back up into heaven, victorious. Now his permanent seat is a throne at the right hand of his father in heaven. His enemies are his ottoman. And all rule, power, authority, and judgment are the scepter that he holds in his hand. You see, so often we demonstrate that we don't trust that God's ways are the best ways. But with his entire life, Jesus demonstrated that he perfectly did. And by doing so, he also demonstrated that it works. His life 
is guaranteed proof that when God promises to exalt those who humble themselves, he in fact will. So friends, when you humble yourselves before God, you know what's going to happen. He will exalt you. You know that when you come before God without any blame, without any excuses, without any justification for your sins, when you come before God and simply say, Father, forgive me. Father, have mercy on me. Jesus' life is the guarantee that the answer will always be yes. When we come before our Father knowing that we deserve absolutely nothing good from Him, Jesus' life is the guarantee that in spite of that fact, God will continually give us his very best. When you and I come before our Father with completely empty hands, Jesus is the guarantee that God will fill those hands with glory and honor and happiness beyond our wildest dreams. He calls you his dearly loved child. He promises you that there is a seat at the head table of the wedding banquet in heaven with your name on it. And friends, if our hands and our hearts and our lives are so full as all of that, then guess what? We'll have a much easier time stopping all of the bickering, all of the fighting, all of the scrapping after tiny little bits of passing glory here on earth. We will be set free from the cutthroat dog-eat-dog life that everyone else around us is living, and we will be liberated to be truly humble, truly kind, and truly generous. Friends, that will happen to you more and more. The more you realize that what Jesus brings to us is not just information. We have so much more than simply a promise that those who humble themselves will be exalted. We have a demonstration that it works. We have proof that the promise will be kept. And so strangely enough, what we should be doing with Jesus is exactly what those Pharisees were doing that evening. Yes, Jesus comes to us and provides information, and so I hope you are listening very carefully. But even more than that, Jesus does a demonstration. Jesus shows proof that God's promise to exalt those who humble themselves will be kept. And so don't just listen to Jesus carefully. Make sure that you are watching him carefully as well. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.